All right, everybody, uh, let's get into the Word today. Uh, let's go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we've got a message for you. You know, we've been in a series for a little while now called The Rules of Grace. And I hope you're not thinking that you have too much grace. <laughs> we'll do the next series on judgment and... and <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, let's, have, let's go ahead and pray for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this opportunity today to study your word. We believe that you're at work in our midst. Lord, and uh, I know you have something to say to each and every one of us. We give you the freedom, the liberty to move and manifest yourself in this place by words, by tremendous acts of faith. Lord, we thank you for your spirit now working through us to do what we can't do on our own. We thank you for your grace that empowers us to be what we can't be on our own. And we thank you for your favor in every person's life now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Ephesians chapter 2. This is our text for the last several weeks. Chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works, lest anyone should boast. How many know everything that the Lord gives you is a gift? Hmm. There's nothing you received from the Lord that you earned or deserved or worked for. Uh, ultimately, everything we have from Him comes by His goodness, because He's good, because He loves us, because He's favorable and kind toward us. And, of course, in our day, in our covenant, it's all through Jesus. Jesus legally made a way where God can love you. <laughs> Otherwise, it could have been illegal. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, he loved us while we were, we were yet sinners. But for God to bless, for God to pour out his abundance and give us a right and a position with him forever would have been illegal. Right? Because God is also a just God. And how many understand that justice doesn't break the rules. Justice enforces the law, right? And when it comes to a standard that is so high that we could never reach it, if justice were imposed on sinful human beings, well, that's called hell. Hmm? And God could not rightfully or legally embrace and bring us into His presence. But thank God He had a plan to where we could be legally redeemed, purchased back by the blood of Jesus. And His sacrifice was sufficient, so now the Lord can deal with us in Christ and look upon us favorably, dismiss all sin, guilt, and shame, and embrace us fully forever. See, He loved us so much, He wanted to be able to do that. And so he went ahead and paid for everything up front, took care of everything, whether you asked for it or not, went ahead and paid the tab. Didn't he? He even paid the tab for people who are rejecting them, rejecting him. I mean, he went ahead and took care of it just in case. Just in case you change your mind, just in case you decide you want a relationship with him, the Lord wants you to know that your bill's already been satisfied. The debt against you, the, the penalty against your life has already been uh, taken care of. And so you can just go on in. You've got reservations. Amen. 
And so it's by the grace of God. Now let's look at Colossians 2. Colossians 2 and verse 6 is the other side to this, to our text here for this uh, message. Colossians 2 and verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. And so the question would be, how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? All right. It would be correct to say, I received Him by grace. It would be correct to say, I received Him by faith. All right, by grace or by faith, because those things really work together. Grace is God's part. Faith is really, we got it from Him, but faith is our part in believing in His grace. And when those two things come together, God's power flows. His mercy, His love, His blessing, everything that He does comes to us by grace through faith. And so if I can learn to live this way, not only accept the Lord and be forgiven of my sins that way, but every day of my life, go to work that way. And trust Him for finances that way. And for long and, 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 and healthy and sustaining life that way. For wisdom and family, uh, uh, child rearing. And, and all the things that we deal with in life. If I can get a hold of this grace thing and this faith thing, there is no hindrance to God doing what He wants to do in my life. For, for my life to be so blessed I can hardly stand it. Yeah. Because I recognize it's not about me being perfect. It's just about me trusting that He's perfect. Yeah. And that His power is sufficient. Yeah. Praise God. Man, I feel like I could go back to part one of this series and just do it all over again. Oh, I just love to talk about the grace of God. It's so good. And, uh, and, and so I want to remind you uh, today of a scripture we read last week. Uh, you remember we were talking about being free from condemnation. Not last week, two weeks ago. Being free from condemnation. And Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now, what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you've received the Lord, you are now, biblically speaking, in Christ. And in Him is different from being in you. <laughs> in Him, there is no penalty. In Him, there is no condemnation. There is no guilty sentence. There is no verdict against your life. Uh, you will not ever be condemned in Christ. All right? And so what is a reality in my spirit I want my mind to catch up to? All right. If I can think saved just like my spirit is saved, then I can live saved. Then I can enjoy the benefits of this salvation. You see, we're not supposed to just fight and claw and struggle through life and for this just to be a misery, but heaven will be great. Many times uh, Christianity and bi biblical living is presented in such a way where it's all sacrifice. It's all just about laying yourself down. Now, now listen, I, I know those things are a part of what we do, and I've sacrificed things in my life, but I tell you what, when you, when you get to the reward, the sacrifice almost seems like nothing. It's almost like, well, I called that a sacrifice before, but now that I see the Lord's hand and blessing in my life, that hardly even was a sacrifice. Everybody understand what we're talking about here? God wants, wants people to thrive and live long and be, be happy, be a tremendous example of what heaven is really like. All right, too many times, and some of us, we've gotten away from these circles, and thank God we have, but understand they're still out there, and you might be with us today, and you've been taught this way, but I want to give you a new message, and if it causes you to think, even if you disagree with me, if it'll make you think and study the Word, then I've done my job, because I tell you what, God wants, I don't know everything, but neither do you. <laughs> Right? None, of, none of us do. And so we just should all stay open and consider the Word of God and consider that we've been wrong about things in our life and are still wrong about things today. But sometimes people are teaching today. Um, it's kind of an old-time theology, but it still exists in many churches. But that 
you know, if you're having a hard time, if you're physically going through it, or if you got in a car accident, you got laid off, you got all these things going on, that really that's God trying to perfect you or teach you or, or, or make you more holy in His sight. Do you know a lot of times people are being taught that today? And, and that's just really sad because that's not the way God deals with us. Yeah, and I know there's some, there, sometimes there's um, a consolation in that. People think, I went through this garbage, I went through this junk. And then they're told, well, God's purpose is being worked out in your life. And so they take some comfort in that, thinking, well, at least there was some value uh, in that. And I'm here to tell you there was no value. Sorry about that. But uh, uh, if you went through a bunch of junk, there's no value in that. Now, if you learn something from it, good, okay? You can learn from bad, you can learn the bad way, the hard way. Uh, and hopefully we do learn from, th- from wrong things. But that's not God's method of teaching us. That's just religiosity getting into the body of Christ. I mean, people have been religiously brainwashed instead of biblically taught. And we need to get back to the Word. God loves us. He has poured His grace and favor out on us. And He is not killing your dog, blowing up your car, you know, causing family problems and all this to work out His plan in you. Absolutely not. And if you know that, you'll take a different posture. When things come against you, when challenges face, you're faced with challenges in life, you'll be resistant to it. You'll say, no, 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 I'm not going to take that. But if you're told, oh, this is the will of God, this is God working in you, then you'll become passive, right? I mean, if you love God, you will. You'll say, oh, I want His plan. I want His will. But the Bible tells us, remember, remember James 4, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What if I don't resist? He, he sets up in the guest room, <laughs> enjoys cohabitation. <laughs> he wants to live in your house, right? He must be resisted. And as believers, we must know that we can resist him. Yeah, it's vital. You know the power and the authority in the name of Jesus. That's a whole other message. That's the authority of the believer and, and some things that are really beneficial there. But uh, again, we're talking about God's grace. We're talking about how he wants to pour his favor out on us. We're talking about how in Christ, now, there is no condemnation. In Christ, no guilty sentence against you. Aren't you glad for that? Let me give you another verse. Don't turn to this one either, but John 3:17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. How many know Jesus could have come down and started pointing fingers? He could have come and picked things apart and said, you're wrong about this, you're wrong about this, you're a rascal, you're a dirty dog, you're good for nothing. And because he, he was perfect, he was right, and everyone else was wrong, and he'd have been correct in doing that. But how many know he didn't do that? He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to beat down. He didn't make, come to make people feel bad about themselves. He came to save. He came to deliver. He came, came to set free, to set people free from the problems and the things that they deal with in life. God does not condemn you even, even when you sin. You might condemn you. I might condemn me. The Lord's not doing it. Let's get his, his uh, perspective in this. Now, now let's go over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now let me just summarize some of this and then we'll read a couple verses. But many know the story when these guys brought the woman caught in adultery before Jesus. All right. They, I guess they set this woman up and they caught her right in the act. I don't know. They had cameras up or whatever going on. I mean, where was the guy? Why didn't they catch him too? Anyway, they caught this woman in the act of adultery. They drug her out of there, plopped her down before Jesus, and said, Moses said she's got to die. 
Moses said, stone her, what do you say? And they're just totally trying to set him up, you know, and get him to, uh, to stone this woman or to go contrary to Moses. And uh, you might remember the story that he stooped down and he was scribbling around on the ground. And he, he, he come up and, and said, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then stooped down again and started drawing. When he came, he came back up, everybody was gone. Right, and uh, I guess everyone realized that uh, they were sinners, right, and they had committed sin. And this is where we want to pick up here in verse, verse ten. It said when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, "Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you?" She said, "No one, Lord." And Jesus said to her, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more." Now think about this. Did you notice that Jesus dealt with condemnation and sin? He dealt with the fact that they wanted to condemn her to death, stone her to death. He said, I don't do that. And he talked to her about the sin. He said, knock it off. But here's what's important for us to see from this. The order in which Jesus dealt with these two things. He didn't say... Woman, knock it off. I don't condemn you. Everybody with me? He said, I don't condemn you. Stop. That order is key to people being free. What religion has done and what many in in the church today have done is they've reversed that. Is they'll say, oh yeah, we won't condemn you. If you don't sin, <laughs> if you stop, if you knock that evil behavior off, then we won't condemn you. And we feel good about that. Yeah, oh yeah, we accept. We embrace people as long as they don't sin. <laughs> but the moment they do, we're ready to pick up stones. And that's not what Jesus did here. Before she ever, uh, before he ever gave her any kind of word of coming against sin. Because how many know Jesus didn't make excuse for sin? He didn't make an excuse for adultery here. He didn't say, ah, woman, you know, adultery is not that big a deal anymore. I mean, Moses was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, cultures change and, you, you know, we're more libertarian. Just do whatever you want. Is that what he said? No. no. He left sin standing called it sin he called spade a spade he didn't mince words about that but the very first thing he did is he released her from condemnation why is because when condemnation is removed people are empowered to overcome sin you don't tell people knock it off stop sinning stop doing that before you give them the power to do it and the power to do that is called no condemnation. Amen. And many times what, what, what happens is when these things get reversed, there's condemnation. People feel bad about it. They feel like a lousy, good for nothing. They're condemned. And then they're told to stop. They feel bad about it. They're told to stop doing it. And because they feel bad about it, how many know that makes you weaker? When you feel condemned, you feel beat down. You feel sapped of strength and from that position we're told to live right 
Well, people don't have the power to live right. They don't have the power to overcome sin because they feel like a rascal. That's why the commandments are given to let people know that they are a sinner so they can come to righteous living, so they can come to Jesus. He removes the power of sin over their life, washes them clean, no condemnation. Now they can do it. Now they can walk free. Instead of the other way around where it becomes a vicious cycle. I feel bad about it. I'm trying to do better, but I don't have the strength to do it, so I fail again. And then I feel worse the second time. And someone else helps me out. And they say, yep, you are a dog. You are a rascal. And the devil jumps on board and says, you are a total loser. And uh, then I feel bad, and I'm trying to do better, but I fall again. Then I feel three times as bad. And you know, it's just a cycle that continues and people never break free from their sin, not because God's condemning them, not because he doesn't love them, but because we are accepting and allowing condemnation to rule. And this is what, we get, what we've got to get free from. Okay. Now, understand this, that the source of condemnation, which is a life-sapping force, it's the root cause of a lot of anger and sickness and disease and a lot of junk in people's lives. The, the source of that is the devil. We ended last time, you recall, in Revelation 12, where he is called the accuser of the brethren. That's his uh, job description. That's the main thing he does. He accuses. In fact, the word Satan in the Hebrew language literally means to attack or to accuse. I mean, there's a lot of things that Satan could be called, a destroyer, a liar, a thief, a murderer, a deceiver, and a lot of things are true about the very nature of the devil, okay? But his very name means accuser, one who attacks. That tells me, what is he going to be doing against me? What's his primary... Um, method to try to take me down, accuse me, attack me, try to get me to cave, to be weak, to give in so he can run my life. But listen to this. If he is the accuser, the attacker, that should reveal to me to some degree what I should not be. As a child of God, I don't want to be anything like him. I want to be so far removed from the nature and character of the devil as I can. And it's kind of like this. Whenever you see something that the devil is or darkness or sin is, we want to remove ourselves from that so that we don't allow it to dominate us. Like James says, James chapter 3, you remember, says, that where there is envy and strife, there's confusion in every evil work. What, what does it mean? In the atmosphere where there's envy and strife, the devil runs wild. There is confusion. There's chaos. Every evil work exists in the climate of envy and strife. Does that make sense? And it doesn't mean someone's not a, a Christian, not a believer, but if they allow those things to exist, God doesn't want them to have it, but if they allow that to exist, the devil runs rampant in their life. It's oftentimes a reason why, why people struggle with sickness and disease, why their kids do, why their kids are always having problems at school. It's because they live in an environment 
where the devil thrives. What is that? Strife. I was just, just a little example here today. If Amy and I fought in our home, if we argued and fussed and were always at each other, uh, we would be given an open door for the enemy to work in us, in our family, in our bodies, our minds, our kids, our finances, everything. That's one of the ways he gets in. And so if I want to close the door to that, I just shut that off. You saying you guys don't fight? Yeah, she says no, but I say yeah. <laughs> oh, she's agreeing. Okay, good. I thought you were disagreeing with me there. I tell you, woman. <laughs> no, we don't. And so that's one area the enemy is just easily cut off. I don't mean we're just el perfecto and never have a disagreement, but we just don't have strife. Why? That's the devil. See, but that's kind of overly simplified. Well, it always takes two people to argue, doesn't it? Just don't. That'll stop it right there. And it's, some of these things are a bigger deal than people realize. Now, oh, we love the Lord. I know, but the devil lives at your house. What I'm saying is, is that atmosphere or climate that he thrives in, we allow to exist. And that's why all these other things, and we're constantly needing prayer for a hundred other things. If you cut that off, it'd stop. But again, back to uh, the accuser. <laughs> Satan is called the uh, accuser. He is an attacker. If that's the way he is, what way should we be? Just the opposite of that. All right. In other words, we as believers, for all of us who are, we should not be known for being able to be quick to point out people's problems. Where we're just really discerning. And we're able to identify what's wrong with everybody. Come on now. What is that? That's the devil. That is the, the accusation. The attack. See, this is, this is a sad commentary on many churches today hopefully not this local church but i don't know i mean we don't have everything together but many in the world don't come to church because in their minds they're going to come to church and be condemned and they say i already feel bad about my life i've already got enough problems why should i go to church as well and then go and feel worse about my life go in there and be condemned and knocked down by all these holy people and how many know, if that's true, then we are the opposite of what we're supposed to be. We live in a covenant of grace and mercy. And we are not supposed to be the masters of pointing out what's wrong with people, where we condemn. What's our word? Do we, do we smooth over and just make sin, act like it doesn't exist? No. But that's not what we're shining the light on. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. And people come messed up. Some of you, you're, you've got issues in here today. I mean, seriously. you got problems. You know you do. What are we going to do with you? <laughs> Here's what we're not going to do. Call you out and expose you. Call you out and make you feel bad. Make you feel like a lousy good-for-nothing over your sin. Hmm? 
No, if you're not saved, we're going to tell you to come to Jesus. He'll wash it all away in an instant. Oh, you'll, you'll never be the same again. Oh, happy day. If you are saved, you got, you're struggling with stuff, we're still not going to condemn you. You know what? Because in Christ, there is none. And I believe that the Word of God empowers us to overcome. And so let it never be said about you where you're condemning. You put guilt trips on people. You give that look. Some of you parents to your adult kids, that look of disappointment with them. Or you always kind of, they know you're just totally disappointed with them. Come on now. Let's operate in the grace of God. Give something to them that empowers them to overcome. Because the condemnation might make them feel bad about it, might make them run from you. Condemnation drives people away from God, not to God. And we want to put something in people that, that enable them to overcome. There's another verse over in Luke 6. I'll just read that to you. Luke 6, 37 says, Judge not, and you'll not be judged. Condemn not, and you'll not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. How many understand that uh, if, we are, if we're judging each other, you know that we cannot, act, we cannot do that accurately? I cannot accurately judge another person. I'll be wrong. I can judge sin. If you put sin before me, I'll say, sin, it's wrong, ugly, wrong, okay? But as far as a person doing something, I don't know their heart. I don't know what they know. I don't know what they've experienced. I've been misjudged before. Probably many of us have. People have come against us, and you thought, they don't even have a clue what's going on here. And yet they were judge, jury, and sentence all in one and, and wanted to... And they'll lock you away and make you guilty forever, and they didn't have a clue. That's why we're told, don't do that. Don't do that to people. Amen now. Okay. Now, now go to Ephesians 4. Let me show you something over here. And so we don't embrace sinful behavior. Absolutely not. But we do surround people with love, acceptance, and forgiveness in Jesus. Ephesians the fourth chapter, and verse 29, 4.29. It says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. What kind of word? A corrupt word. Now, that's not just talking about cussing. All right, I don't think you ought to cuss. <laughs> you know, four-letter words, stop. That's not, I mean, no condemnation, but quit. <laughs> uh, but that's not, the, that's not the, the, the full scope of what he's talking about. He said, but what is good for necessary edification. So it's any word that is not lift, uplifting and building. He said that it may impart grace to the hearers. Isn't that interesting? That we by our words, if we choose the proper verbiage, the proper words to speak to someone, we can impart to them. What? Grace. God's ability. God's favor, God's strength for them to overcome. So by my words, I can suck the life out of people. They can leave a conversation, an encounter with me, feeling beat down, weak, feeling lifeless, feeling listless, or they can feel empowered. They can feel strengthened. They can feel like, I can do this. I can overcome. I can win. And that's up to me in the words that I speak. A corrupt word which I'm not supposed to have come out of my mouth, a corrupt word tears people down. A corrupt people, a corrupt word condemns. 
it saps the strength and life and ability for people to overcome and succeed in life. Let's look at this from the Amplified Bible. Look at this with me. It says, Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth, but only such speech as is good and beneficial to the spiritual progress of others, as is fitting to the need and the occasion that it may be a blessing and give grace, God's favor, to those who hear it. And so, again, we have the choice as believers today. We can be operating in, in agreement and in alignment with the devil. Or we can be in, in agreement and alignment with the Spirit of God. Which is going to be grace, empowering, uplifting. Or it's going to be demeaning, condemning, tearing down. You know, just, just like there's inspiration, uh, I'm speaking by inspiration of God. Many of you, we, we can speak by inspiration where God will bring things to our mind. It's the, way that I, it's the way that I'm able to, quote, read people's mail sometime in church and get all over their business without even knowing it, all right? It's because there's inspiration. I mean, no, they can come from the other direction, too. You ever been in an, ever been in an argument with someone? Uh, <laughs> And uh, and you were just really going at it. Maybe it was a marital conflict, and you were just really going at it and, and letting each other have it. And in the middle of that, man, words were just flowing out of you. <laughs> I mean, it's you could so, just so quickly identify past things. I mean, it might have been years ago. Dates, <laughs> locations, everything flooded your mind, and you were just able to just rattle those things off, and you felt inspired. Kind of like that old movie, you know, the, the um, You've Got Mail. Remember in the coffee shop? Yeah. <laughs> How she let him really have it there and felt so good about herself for a minute. <laughs> and then felt really bad about herself. How many understand that just like you can be inspired to do good things and the grace of God can empower people, you can be inspired from the flesh and really from the devil. To be able to, I mean, you might feel like, man, I spoke with great authority. I spoke with great uh, fluidity there. And it just came out of me. But you took someone down. They, they left feeling bad about themselves. They left with a bad taste in their mouth. That's Colossians. Let's go to this one. Uh, Colossians uh, chapter 4. Colossians 4. And notice with me in verse 6 here. 4, 6 says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Now, my speech with grace, that means it's speech that has God's ability in it. It's His uplifting, His life-giving ability, seasoned with salt. Well, what does salt do? I mean, salt helps flavor. It's so you don't leave a bad taste in people's mouth every time you leave them. They go away from a conversation and an encounter with you feeling, hey, nice. They feel good about themselves. They feel good about you. They feel good about the whole situation. It's an empowering thing. Salt also preserves. It's a preserving force. When we speak words of grace, what does it do? It helps sustain people. Condemnation weakens them to failure. Words of grace preserve and strengthen to success. We should go out of church feeling like I can do it. Feeling like I can handle anything that comes my way. Because we got salted in church. 
All right. And the rest of this says, that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each one. If I'm a person who is not condemning but speaking, per, speaking words of grace, what's going to happen? Wisdom is going to come to me. I'm going to know how, I'm gonna know how I, I should say things. I'm going to know what I should say. I'm going to be able to speak into people's lives that will actually make a difference. And I won't be finding myself lacking for words if I'm speaking in line with God's grace. Think about that for a moment. God works with His Word. God works with grace. God works with those of us who have a message of forgiveness and love and acceptance and hope. He's not working with a a condemning message. Sometimes people will follow a condemning message because they've been trained that way for most of their life. You get beat down. That's why oftentimes an abused Spouse will stay with an idiot who abuses them. And, you, and someone from the outside thinks, what are you doing? Would you get away from that? Don't let that turkey beat on you. But they stay. And people have been trained to stay in situations like that. They've been comfortable, become comfortable with feeling bad. They feel like they deserve it. They feel like something's wrong with them and that's a bad situation amen but God works with grace he works with empowering things that's what we're about here if you like to condemn and criticize and be negative and ugly go away (laughs) or stay and you know we'll, we'll, we'll love you We'll empower you, but if you want to just beat up on other people, mm, that's not the environment we have here. That's not the atmosphere we create here. Well, you're just making sin acceptable. No, we're empowering people to overcome. Not making an excuse for sin. When I have not living double lives around here, but we believe that God empowers us. Praise God. Let me show you one more verse today in uh, John chapter 16. John chapter 16 and, and verse, verse 8. See, this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit. He said, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of, and of judgment. Look at that now. He, the Holy Spirit, will do what? Convict, convict who? 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 Of sin. Do, who, does it say that He will convict the church? Then why do so many Christians talk that way? Oh, the Holy Spirit's just been convicting me. He has? No. When I was in the world, yes, the Spirit convicted me of sin. What sin? Because I did not believe on Jesus. Because I hadn't received the Savior, Jesus. He didn't deal with me about everything else, about that. That's the issue. People don't go to hell for lying and cussing and doing drugs. It's all about Jesus. Your acceptance or rejection of Him. So the Spirit convicted me. But now I'm, a, now I'm saved. I'm in the family. I've been washed and cleansed and made new. Why do so many Christians say, Oh, the Holy Spirit was really convicting me. What does that make you? That would be a convict. 
I know I'm messing with your thinking today, but that's what we do around here. A Christian con. I'm telling you, there are none. Now, practically, there are. In the, in the kingdom of God, though, spiritually, there are none. You're saying the Spirit doesn't convict us? Absolutely not. We've been forgiven. What are we guilty of? I've been washed and cleansed in His blood. He's not going to treat me like a sinner. He's not going to treat me like a heathen, like a spiritually dead person. No. He convicts the world, not the church. The church has been washed and cleansed. You're getting pretty quiet in here today. This is fun. <laughs> the, the Greek word for uh, convict, it's been translated convict, convince, tell a fault, rebu- rebuke, reprove. We use that word in our English language. The dictionary says to declare someone to be guilty of a criminal offense by the verdict of a jury or the decision of a judge in the court of law. Are we guilty before the Lord? Not in Christ, we're not. We were. Conviction came. I've been convicted. Guilty. Right? Sentence upon my life. But Jesus came in and washed me clean, and I accepted him, and now there is no guilty verdict against me. I'm no longer a convict. I'm no longer a guilty person before God. And so he deals with me completely different. You know, there's, uh, the word innocent is used many times the, the, in the Bible. The Hebrew word translated innocent also is translated blameless, clean, clear, exempted, free, guiltless, innocent. Uh, does that describe us in our new relationship with the Lord? Absolutely. This is the way we've got to start thinking about ourselves. Yeah, my record's been cleared. I've been exempted. I've been expunged. I've been washed clean. There's no guilty verdict against my life. Am I convicted? Absolutely not. No. Jesus became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God in Him. And that's the way I am today. And that's the way you are today. It would be unjust to convict a righteous man. And so why would the Holy Spirit be... I mean, if the the Lord... Go back to a previous part in this series. We talked about being righteous conscious instead of... Sin conscious. Remember according to Hebrews. We're not supposed to be conscious of sin anymore. If that were true. Why would one third of the Godhead. Be assigned to the earth. And be assigned to every believer. No, You're supposed to have no consciousness of sin in Christ. But then I've given my spirit. To convict you every day. Give you a guilty sentence. To let you know about sin. No. He's here to let me know about righteousness. He's here to let me know about what I've been made in Christ so I can hold my head high and have empowerment to overcome sin. Amen. Again, it would be unjust to convict a righteous man. And we need to know where we stand. Where do you stand with God today? We should all know our place. If you're righteous... Come on now. Thank Him for it. Thank Him for it every day. Be so glad because you didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. He did it to you. But if you're unrighteous, you're in the right place today. Because you can call upon the name of the Lord and that status that you have 
your record is about to be washed away. That unrighteousness, that sin is about to be blotted off of your record. And it will no longer dominate you. You'll no longer feel like a bad person trying to do right. But you'll feel like a forgiven, new person with no past. Ready to move forward. Amen. Father, today we're so thankful for what you're doing in us. For the work of God in our hearts. We believe that you're faithful to your promise. And I thank you for speaking to every heart and every life. Helping us to come up. Helping to come up in our lives to live victorious over sin and all the junk in this world. We thank you for your favor and your grace upon us today. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for every lost person. Every single one that's not right with you today. Pray that you touch their heart in Jesus' name.